Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of, of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Today's episode is brought to you by Adventure Dice. Adventure Dice is an online dice shop based here in Vancouver, selling a variety of dice and other gaming accessories. Personally, I'm a big fan of their rolling trays and the grounded pixie dice set. Adventure Dice ships for free anywhere in Canada, and if you use the code DMV at checkout, you can get a 10% discount on your purchase. That's DMV for a nice discount on your new tabletop gear. Find the shop at adventuredice.ca and roll for adventure! Hey folks, welcome to another episode of DMs of Vancouver. Today we're going to be talking about being a villainous GM. Today we're talking to Dee. How's it going? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks for coming in. I guess to start, where might people know you from? Um, I write for this online GMing blog called Gnome Stew. I wrote this um, this article about that like um, seriously critiquing or um, a serious review of the Wendy's tabletop RPG. I also wrote something about like analyzing 5e and taking things out of it to like apply to other games oh cool yeah oh, that's actually really interesting mm-hmm. um i'm curious what made you want to write that uh which one the 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 wendy's um i say this a lot but i'm a i'm a wendy's fangirl like like from the bottom of my heart it uh, when i when i ask people hey what are three things that you'd like describing with uh i like tabletops i I'm a budding librarian, and I really like Wendy's. I actually owned and still own the largest... Well, I can't say large, but um, I have a lot of followers on a Wendy's fan blog on Tumblr. <laughs> it, it has, like, a couple thousand people just that followed it in its heyday for, like, Wendy's memes. I'm like, oh, okie doke. <laughs> I really like it. And that's why I was so... Can I say disappointed? Yeah. Yeah, disappointed in the tabletop. So I went ham on it because... Since people know me for liking Wendy's a lot, like I got like 20, 30 people being like, hey, you're really going to like this thing. Uh, and then they all just sent me, oh, it's fine. I'll talk about it. So, you, oh, sorry. I was actually inter- really interested in the other article because <laughs> um, one of the things I'm a big fan of, mostly because um, due to what, what games my players are interested in, I'm usually running 5e, <laughs> but I like taking elements from other RPGs mm-hmm. and oh, using them in 5e. That's fine. Um I like and using them in Five E. So I'm I'm actually I'm gonna check that out later and see <laughs> what what aspects you are taking out of Five E and applying to other games because I'm really curious. There was just two major ones, but yeah. Yeah. So, what does it mean to GM like a villain? What when we're talking about being a villainous GM? What is it that you mean? Um, it's it's a it's a lot of things altogether. It's like the first question I always like to ask myself is like, what does it mean to be like a villain? And I think it's three major things Um, that when you go through a story that to really get the feel that someone is like, you're, you're fighting against somebody. Um, presence, as in they feel like they're everywhere. When you go to a town, you feel that they've done something or they've affected something or you're trying to look for clues of things they've already done. You know they're there. You're just trying to find it. Purpose, um, you know they have a goal and you know what they want to do, but you're not necessarily certain how they're going to accomplish it. And third, like it's a performance. It's this whole... Um, you know, no one cares about that. Like the quiet, like a uh, quiet villain. It's it's often like the big, ener- uh, you know, high energy, high 
if you look at them, you can like almost see a visage of someone scary, right. illness. And it's like, I think you need to hit like all those notes to really be a full villain. Okay. And all oh, right, how's jamming? Yeah. Um, so being a villainous GM is hitting all of those notes. It's being all those things, and it's ultimately for a single purpose, and that's to unite not only the characters in the story against you, but the players. There's like I think there's like nothing more um unifying than having a single thing that you're like, I want to defeat this. There's like all the small things, the monsters being like, okay, we're going to defeat this together. But then there's the one oppressing presence that the players always want to just tear down. Right. And yeah. You know, it's interesting because I I don't play up the GM as a villain thing, but like I try to do my best whenever I have a villain that I'm trying to, you know, my players against to make it either as scary or as like worrisome to them Mm -hmm. so that they're either constantly running away from it or trying to deal with it so i I feel like there's a lot of crossover here i'm i'm really i'm really looking forward to getting more into this topic so something i'm I'm curious about is you're not talking about being kind of the the old school 80s mean gm where you're you're specific you're specifically trying to like make your players have a terrible time you're you're trying Mm -hmm. to make them have a fun time by playing a villainous character really well yeah against you it's um have you ever watched a show called Scrubs? Yes. There was that one episode with Kelso and the and the um, the soldier guy. I haven't seen Scrubs in like ten years. <laughs> the idea was everyone was like when they didn't have someone to focus all their ire on, they started like taking it out on each other. And Kelso was just like, "Okay, none of you can have coffee except for me." And then and then everyone's just like, "Wow, we hate this guy so much." And it made them a team. Right. Yeah. So you're giving the you're giving the characters and the players something to unite against. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's um like are you, are you a fan of let's say a uh, Dark Souls or Monster Hunter? Uh, I am a fan of the lore of Dark Souls. I haven't played it yet. I want to. I'm a little terrified. I have just recently started playing Monster Hunter World. Oh yeah, and it's like I feel um you get a lot of triumph when you like struggle a bit. I and it's like um. Yeah, there's like this whole struggle by it that makes the payoff a little bit more satisfying for me. Yeah, I I, I agree with that because I think it's something that I've been struggling with a little bit in my games recently is that because there's only three players and because mm-hmm. they're all playing magic classes, I've got a sorcerer, a bard, and a druid. I'm a little hot, like I'm a little worried about how challenging I can make a fight because because they're all so squishy. They're they're level three or four and the sorcerer has a max hp of 11 so yeah he did not roll well for constitution or for any of his uh hp increases so it's this it's something i've been trying to do is give them villains in each locale that they go to that they can unite against and figure out like some way to beat them that's maybe not physical but when they do manage to overcome especially because they're a bunch of squishy magic people that when they do manage it it's like oh my god we pulled that off yeah yeah that it's like um like there's this whole thing nowadays where people kind of like focus on this idea that all games have to be like super collaborative and and you know yes i i highly like support that i believe that and i don't i don't necessarily always feel that every game or every campaign should or needs that it's um i can't say this when, when you foster a collaborative environment, um, for games that have a lot of agency and power, like Fate, 
or 10 candles, it's really important to keep the um, trusting your players and trusting you, et cetera, et cetera. In these games, the GM is another player. But when you're trying to be like a hero, when people are trying to be heroic, they want to triumph over something, achieve greatness. And I feel like as a GM, acting super buddy-buddy makes the players feel like their happy ending is like, it's going to happen. That it was just, it was handed to them on a silver platter. Like they didn't have to work for it. Yeah. And it's something that... Um, it came into my mind when you were when you're talking about that is uh, Matt Colville talking about the way that he runs most of his games is that combat is deadly and monsters gonna monster like an earth elemental isn't going to leave you alone because mm -hmm. you've fallen unconscious it's gonna step on your head and squish you and <clears throat> that idea of like you know cheering on your players when they're being successful but then if they mess up, if combat goes bad, if they need to get out of there and they choose to keep fighting, well, they messed up and it's time for some consequences. But then when you do, when you GM that way, when you GM in a way that your players know there are consequences if something goes badly, when they pull off that tricky operation of sneaking into the bad guy's fort or pulling off some huge feat, that's more rewarding than just, oh yeah, we knew this was going to happen because everything always goes our way. 100%. I fully agree. It's like a whole thing. Um, let's let's maybe move on to kind of the, the elements of doing this. So okay. you were talking about presence, purpose, and performance. So right. um, let's start with presence. What, what, do you, what do you do to help build your presence? Um, personally... Uh... I always like for for one when they when just at the table I try to like take up more space physically kind of like putting my arms back, um, trying to be to look a little bit more cocky or y you know that GM lean in when you're smiling and going forward being like what are you gonna do T tenting your fingers and being like what are you doing next exactly it's it's I guess it's more a bit more of a performance but like um with, with the presence it's just like when you're G when you're when your own villain comes in and they do things in the world you always feel it's like okay this is their calling card and for you um you have your own habits and finding out what your own habits and what your preferences are your players start seeing okay they uh it gets a little bit metagamey but they're like okay so rgm kind of really likes this thing and we need to prepare a little bit more for this thing you know what i mean it it kind of adds like theme to the overall campaign like i know i really like uh long stretches of no trap and then just a single one that's super deadly yeah. and so they're always still just a little bit anxious but more so the middle than the beginning of a, a like a dungeon yeah you kind of have that build up i um what you were saying about like players getting to know their dm's ticks i don't know if my players have picked up on mine <laughs> yet i don't know what mine are but i've definitely played with gms where i'm like oh oh no jay's about to do a thing Jay's about to do what? What do I have? What are my resources? Oh no! <laughs> and I think the speaking further to the presence thing of 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 getting like having those ticks and using them, especially when the bad guy is you know strutting onto stage, being all big and villainous, is that um, it's one of the things we've talked about with like telling people they don't have to use a voice, they don't have mm -hmm. to do anything that they're not comfortable with. But like, I think one of the biggest things you can do to uh, like make your villain feel bigger is something that I actually did a couple of times when I was DMing around a table specifically, because this does not work when you're mm -hmm. doing it online, is you stand up. Like if everybody's sitting down and you stand up and you're looming over them, it's, it's something that just, it's a, just part of the way our brain works is that that feels a little bit threatening. It's going to just invoke a little bit of a response in your players that like, oh no, this is a little dangerous. 
I used to run games at uh, Rain uh, One Stop Shop, now Rain City Games. Uh, they used to have like this raised up area. So when I was running this thing with a dragon, I would get up to the raised platform and like boom, and like arms are big. Or when they're fighting or being sneaky, I would like like circle around them. So they get like a little bit more nervous. That was, yeah, no, that's a whole thing. The theatrics. You can't really do that in like a very small area, but you can do to a degree. Yeah. I've done something similar. Um, and I want to clarify that this was with a party who are, were all good friends of mine and were comfortable with me getting in their personal space because mm-hmm. I wouldn't do this to strangers. Um, but like I was, they were going through a dungeon and something was whispering to them from a distance. Mm-hmm. And so I would like lean in right next to their ears, whisper as quietly as I could. And like, yeah, that creates an effect for most players, right? Mm. Again, Maybe don't do it with people who don't know you because that could be incredibly uncomfortable for them. Yeah. But I, like... I, it, I'm i also thinking of like for something like that where you're trying to create a presence is if you've... It's something that I think you could do if you have like a Bluetooth speaker or something that like for that specific example of yeah. something's whispering to them is I would probably do something where I've got a Bluetooth speaker and I would put it somewhere that they don't immediately notice it maybe face it towards the wall and then just play something at a low enough volume that like they can hear it every now and then but they're just like what was what was that <laughs> yeah i mean in, in this case the whispers were direct threats to the people Fair <laughs> enough, the characters. Yeah. but um yeah like stuff like that works or like you know i have an npc who's a like an octopus who's a shopkeeper and i just wave my arms around the whole time I think one of my favorite pictures that I saw online is a player who was playing a druid who was really into the role play aspect. And when they shape changed into a snake, they got down and they just had their heart arm Aww. above the table with like a little snake arm. Um, and it's just, yeah, like there's there's all sorts of things. You don't like anything that you can think of to kind of give your presence a little bit more mm-hmm. oomph at the table. Yeah, I agree that that can be it can be a big thing for players to help get them into the feeling of like, oh, we are facing off against the villain right now yeah and i i kind of like always have that on so they're like this person's the villain so i think this ties in pretty well with with performance because we've been talking about like body language and mm-hmm. that's part of having a performance is, is is having a presence having that villain have a presence at the table so what are some things that you can do to lean into that like the performance of being a villain at the table evil laughter Honestly, you get you get a solid GM evil laughter whenever when or like a, like I think laughter is like a big element. It's uh, when they're going to an area and like <laughs> or or when a big thing is about to happen and like you have this like face on that's just screaming, "I'm going to kill you all," <laughs> but you're not necessarily aiming to kill them all. It's um the, the way I see it, I want the players to be scared of me that I'm going to kill them, but. Like, if you look backwards on it, I don't. Um, one of my rec- uh, a recent campaign I had, it lasted for like two years. There's like a whole nother story behind this one. But um, my players were constantly on about like thinking that I'm out to get them, I'm going to kill them. It's like, oh my God, it's another trap. She's going to kill us all. And and at the end of the campaign, if you look back, the only, re- uh, the only two people that died were two characters that went off and fought a mid, like, like um, a large boss all on their own. And... You know, that's that's on them at that point. Yeah, but. I think that's the the biggest things for GMs is that is. I think maybe more so for D and D than some of the other games. But it feels like I mean, it depends <laughs> on what game you're playing. Really, I mean, if you're playing Call of Cthulhu, like 
yes, ham it up entirely. But I think the thing is, is that like that that performance, that uh, presence of like making your players feel like they're in danger, even though like internally you're cheering them on, being like, yes, yes exactly. do the awesome thing, do the awesome thing. Yes, they did the awesome thing. But you're trying to make it feel dangerous so that when they pull off the awesome thing, they get to cheer just as loudly as you do. They get to cheer. They feel that they've accomplished some great task because, you know, there is this 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 um, mental presence of like they've heard stories about killer GMs and you're playing off those tropes and bringing them into you. But it's just an act. Yeah. It's all I'm going to do all of these things. But secretly, I want you to succeed. I want you to do this. I want you to like um, I have this mental image of what heroes are really like. And it's I, I'm never I'm not a big fan of paladins. I'm not a big fan of, hey, I'm going to be good and I'm always going to do good. And this is what I was like from the very beginning. I don't think that's interesting storytelling. No offense to paladins out there. I'm sorry. Um, But. I think my favorite part is when a hero gets dragged through the freaking dirt. They get they they get dragged through the mud. Bad things happen constantly. They don't have to like have all their family die or whatever. But like you know, they're, they're challenged. Uh, bad things constantly happen to them, even when they make good decisions. And I think the people that come out of that and don't get all edgy and get like, no, I'm gonna do this because I think it's the right thing to do. I think that's what makes a hero. And I want to put players to that as rough as that may sound no i think i i think that's a a good way to do things because yeah like because this at the end of the day i think most people are here because they want to tell a story mm -hmm. they're, they're not just here to sit down and roll dice for two hours and then go home they're everybody's here because they want to tell a story and a more interesting story is more fun to tell and to hear so if you have a character who just they're goody good shoes and they accomplish everything they want to and then they go home that's super okay. boring but if if it's somebody who like they get dragged through the dirt and they're still willing to do what it takes to do the right thing and then they do the right thing and they pull it off and save the kingdom that is a much more interesting story i think so yeah yeah success against all odds is yeah it's more i think it's more fun to play as a player too than mm -hmm. everything's a cakewalk yeah Everything's a cakewalk. Your ending is secure. You're going to save the princess and there's nothing wrong whatsoever. Yeah. Ain't that grand? So I think to tie all of this together, there's the last thing is like is the purpose. Like mm. the reason, and we've been touching on this quite a bit, is to make things more interesting, more fun. Mm -hmm. What would you say at the end of the day, like the purpose of being, of playing this kind of, doing the evil GM kayfabe kind of thing? Like what's the purpose of it? It's, um... I mean, I, I think I touched on that earlier when I said uh, to unite the players, to give them a mountain to climb together, that they feel that they had to push every resource and everything about them. They're not they're not uh, spoiled for choice. They're not, I, I have a million spells because I get a long rest every turn. No, I'm the evil GM that, that says this location is a little too difficult to long rest in so you can get a short rest or no rest at all or... Thing or monsters are gonna come in and bump you in the night and all those things. They, they, they are always having to like push themselves just a little bit. It at the end of the day, I think it's about sneakily making the players more immersed without them knowing. It's um part of, part of the idea is just um yeah. I, I guess that's all. Uh, that that's the main thing of what I can say about that. It's to make them think that. I I, I like the idea of like getting them to unite. And, and not just as characters, but as players 
against the villain and the GM. I, mm. I like that idea. And I think for some groups, it might be a little bit of a fine tightrope, but in other groups, it's going to go really well. Like everybody's going to know that at the end of the day, this is all a game. We're all just here to have fun. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think this, like this kind of like doing the evil GM thing, like really playing up the villains. I think this is kind of the answer to like a question that I see online sometimes of like, why can't I play an evil character? And I think the reason is that in some games, the GM isn't giving the party something to unite against. Mm -hmm. So they can't have an evil character because then the party unites against the evil character. They kind of faff about. Yeah. And having, having something like giving the, the players you like, offering yourself up as a target so that all of them are focused on like, mm -hmm. we are going to beat this villain. We are going to tear down this evil Lord, whatever it is that you're trying to get them to do means that if you get the evil characters on board, like and if you, if there's a player that wants to play the stabby stabby rogue, if they're on board with taking down the evil Lord, like I am more okay with that. If they're all united in facing against me and not like two players are really mad that this guy keeps stealing things. Yeah, I've actually never had a problem with having evil players, and I think that's what you, you just captured why. Because, you know, I like playing evil characters, and I've had characters that like playing evil characters, yet the play, uh, the other players I've had have not had problems with them. Because, once again, it's just, we all have to do this together. I really like, um, have you read, have you read this webcomic called 8-Bit Theater? Yes, I've read, I don't know, the first year or two. Yeah, Black Mage. Being evil. I'm a, I'm a terrible person, but there's a reason why I have to stick around with you people. One is because you're a meat shield, but the other is because, you know, we're, we're, we have to do this together. I love those characters. I play them a lot. And um, I, I sometimes become the player that gets targeted. <laughs> sometimes. So I think this is interesting because I think a lot of the games that I've played in where we've had evil players where it hasn't worked out is because we haven't had a clear nemesis. Mm -hmm. Like we haven't necessarily had, like we've had a thing to unite for, but it hasn't been a clear enough threat that we actually are like, yes, we are reuniting to do the thing. So that's a really interesting point. <laughs> yeah, because I think the games where, like, because there's there's multiple styles of game. Like, if you're going to play, like, a West Marches game or something like that, it's, I think it's a little bit, maybe, and maybe this is just me and thinking about my own skills. Like, I think for me, a West Marches or, like, that kind of game where there's, like, different groups of players all playing at the same table i feel like for me that would be harder to pull off this like uh -huh. really strong evil character whereas if you're just if you're playing a more focused campaign where like every weekend if you're lucky or every month that everybody sits down at the table and they're like right yes we are fighting the evil lord joffrey uh -huh. and they're like right back in it right away it's uh as as the player you'd be like hey i know i'm bad but check out this guy pointing <laughs> at the gm um yeah, so also I guess I maybe wanted to cover a bit of um, you know the kind of things you can do. We're good. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I act I teach um these panels I teach panels and like or I would say presentations more closely because I'm the only one doing them. Uh, I did some at Anime Revolution. I did some at Rain City, and I'm doing some. In, well, I did some now retroactively in like KomoriCon and ChemCon. Um, it's um. One of my panels is this whole, it's called Time Wizardry and Mind Control. <laughs> it, the name gets people in. And it's about the kind of, honest to God, kind of manipulative tactics in order to like make your player, uh, to like get the players kind of to maneuver the direction you want them to. It's, um, 
It's not too bad. It's not, it's not as like, you know, it's not abusive, I hope, and I think. Um, so like, I, I kind of get this profile of the players. I, I, I'm thinking about like writing an article specifically about um, it, but I, I believe that players can like be identified in like three elements. Um, what is it? Speed, you can either be an active, a passive, or, um, no, I know, active, passive, or cautious player. So it's the kind of player, an uh, active player always wants to do something. A passive player is often okay with just being like, I'm gonna be chill. You guys are enjoying yourselves and I'm really enjoying the vibe. A cautious player is the one that will, they're the rogue that checks for traps all the time. And when when I'm playing up my whole villainous aspect, um, knowing what the players are and how to target them uh, makes it easier for you to control the pacing, which is also a real big benefit of playing like a villainous GM. Like if I need to stall out and I have no idea what I'm doing, I look towards the cautious player that like that gets paranoid and, and and I'm like, are you sure? And even though the decision is perfect, it's a good idea. Saying are you sure? I get two minutes easy and I can just like scribble. I've done that a bunch of times where and I've actually found it to be more entertaining with just three players because uh-huh. somehow when there's when I had five players, it somehow felt like they came to a decision faster. <laughs> and when I've got only three players, and maybe I think it's the the players, mm. but I just it feels like they go in circles a lot more, and like they're slowly circling towards their target, but it just feels like it takes them longer. And I can I can just like pop in, like it's happened a couple of times now where I'll like be furiously like writing down notes trying to figure out how to put something ahead of where they're going, and then I can just pop in and be like are you sure that's a good idea? And they'll just keep yeah. circling in that same spot for like another 20 minutes. I think I call it the counselor effect. It's when you have five, you have people that, four or five, you can have people that split off into sides and teams. When you have three people, you have a council of members that all have equal opinions and they're all going to be like vying for, we need to do it this way. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's just, I, I there's been a couple of times now where they'll be planning something and like they've come up with some, crazy plans like collapsing a mountain on some folks (laughs) but like the amount of time it takes them to get there and like they're making sure that they're covering like sometimes they're not circling around a decision trying to make the right one sometimes it's they'll spend 20 minutes like trying to like figure out exactly how they're going to attack this enemy stronghold and this is with the three magic users by the way so i'm just thinking like well if they do that i can put a guy here and like i like them spending so long trying to figure out how they're going to do a thing gives me plenty of opportunity to put things in their uh-huh. path to make it more challenging and so it, that's been great yeah. i'm just reminded of like the most recent thing my players did that i wasn't expecting was like we had a whole session where they could plan like they were planning their attack and this ambush of like the big bad of kind of the like section of the campaign and they were like it, it took place in this like very weird kind of carnival and so they're like well we're gonna push a ferris wheel on them i'm like oh so you're gonna like release it and like roll it on them they're like no we're gonna push it over onto them and i'm like this is gonna take a lot of planning (laughs) they did they spent an entire session planning it they got growth potions so they would have extra strength bonuses they like put an illusion over it so it looked normal and they could damage as much as they wanted beforehand and it was great but it was also like what (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think there are probably thousands of stories of gms like encountering this like i need some time so that i can quickly plan out what's happening next hey player i know will waffle on a decision for two hours what do you think 
I, I love it when I pair off two of the cautious players together, and I'm like, "What do you two think we should uh, we should do?" Because not only will they both oppose everybody else, but they'll also oppose each other. <laughs> it's it's funny because I think when I'm a player, I'm more along the lines of a cautious player. But in the only game I'm actively playing in, I'm playing an active character. Like my character's flaws oh, that yeah. they cannot wait around for things to happen. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Um, yeah. There's like a whole. There's a, there's a lot more elements to this whole thing. I've um, I've like mapped out. It's alone talking about this is like, I think an hour and a half of presentation. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but yeah, Time Wizard in my control has been like going pretty well. I'm really happy about it. So. Uh, for our listeners, is that a, a title for a talk that you tend to repeat? Yeah, it's a it's a panel I, I tend to repeat. I think I'm doing that at uh, oh I think I uh, I did that at CamCon. Okay. All right. Yeah. So that that's good. If you're in the, I'm assuming most of these are in the Pacific Northwest, kind of of the states and around BC. Yeah, I mean, I'm aiming for that. It's um, I'm also aiming to do like a lot more of the of these in like 2020. Yeah. Uh, I don't know many conventions, and but I'd love to speak at straight up all of them. <laughs> Um, anime Revolution is always a big one. Anime, there's a lot of anime fans that are also. There are so many anime conventions around here too. It's yeah. it's almost kind of silly how do, many there are. Do any of the conventions put uh, re- like record panels and put them online? I don't think so. Um, okay. If I ever happen to get lucky enough to hit SakuraCon, I I hope they would. Um, it's actually kind of a dream. I kind of um, you know, how some people write, some people create content they put online. Um, my goal is to one day be invited and flown out to a convention to speak. That nice. is the goal. That's actually one of my goals as well, but for programming. Okay. <laughs> yeah, for mine's yeah, tabletops. Um, do you want me to cover like a little bit of the other things? Um, yeah. That thing? yeah. Yeah. So uh, the thing I was talking about before was speed, uh, active, passive, cautious. I assign a speed value to all of this. So at the end of the day, a player to me, in my head, has like a plus three value. Every time I talk to that player, it speeds up the game by three units. Like, I I get... Is this manipulative? I don't know. I hope not. I, I don't think so, because I think the thing is, is that part of, part of being a GM is knowing how to manage your table so that mm-hmm. you can get to the end of your session and end it on hopefully... End it at a place that either either like a satisfying cliffhanger, a good moment where everybody's like yeah we did the thing or like it's either like right like right as you like finish building a bunch of tension and you've got that cliff cliffhanger moment but or um i'm fine with me sounding like an idiot because i edit this thing um <laughs> or you end it just after they've just successfully beaten the bad guy and released all that tension like you're trying to work towards one of those two goals so like whatever techniques you have for like speeding things up a little bit because you need to get to a fight really quickly or you need to get them through another two rooms of talking to people and figuring out some puzzles or whatever it is i think that as long as you're not like you can reduce player agency you just can't take it away yeah yeah i also feel like the word manipulation is like sometimes misunderstood because like there's an argument to be made that all stories manipulate you in some way shape or form and so like i think using the resources that your players present in order to tell a good story is a good way to tell a story so you're saying this is a uh, players are an rts okay okay i like that um so yeah so speed uh active passive cautious interest things i like uh action goals change flow details and 
perfection. A player that does not want to look dumb. They they want to backflip and look cool and not fail doing it. Um, and what I call triggers or what a player will react to the most. Uh, chaos. Some players want the world to burn. Um, do they like encounters? Do they want the spotlight most of all? Like, do they want to be on the focus? Um, intrigue, roleplay, and emotion. So a player might react the most to um, getting a little bit, like having a nice intimate, uh, like, you know, hand-holding session or something with the barmaid. I don't know. Something like that. It's um, it's just something that they care about. And so when you add all these three, because those are like the three sections, you add them all together and bam, you have your values. And that's all for the goals that you were talking about before. Yeah, because I think it's something that I think most GMs realize pretty quickly is that you you end up with a whole bunch of various levers and buttons and mm-hmm. strings and pulleys and all these kind of things that you can do to, yes, manipulate your players into either making a bad decision because it'll be more funny or like getting them to feel a certain emotion or to get them ready for like, you, you know, like the big like the biggest example I can think of that ties in with what Jesse was saying about all stories are a little bit manipulative inherently. I do wish we could think of a better word. But yeah, I can't. But is is the fact that like you know if something if your villain does something that riles up all the players mm-hmm. and gets them really fired up for that final battle, like you know just before the final battle, the villain kills their favorite NPC, and the only way to bring them back is to rescue their soul from the villain. Like, that is going to get them fired up. It's going to get them raring to go. And that's a, something, like, it's just a way to manipulate your players into getting them more excited about the story that you're telling. Uh, I actually think I remember something along this lines. It was back in 2017. Um, they call it knife theory. Um, a player has knives. Uh, essentially, the things you can use to stab them with. Um, oh, so yes. <laughs> I have a sickly mother. Uh, I came from an uh, an academy that like doesn't have a lot of money, or I'm a nervous wreck, and you're like, so you can see how many knives a player has that you can use. So this character has like three knives. I'm gonna stab him with two of them. Um, a really, a really, a thing I know is some of my players really are they're very loving for animals, and I know if I put seven jungle goats in front of them, they're going to find any possible solution to not fight them. And I think one thing though to caution is that like this is not carte blanche to mm-hmm. abuse your players to like put them in situations that are genuinely uncomfortable. Right. This is one of hopefully many tools in your toolbox to tell a more engaging story because mm-hmm. something we come back to I think almost every episode at this point is that everybody's at the table to have fun. Exactly. And all like all stories can be fun. Horror stories can be fun because you get that like exhilaration of oh okay it's over now or you know the like love stories or comedies or dramas like they can all be fun in different ways but there are definitely edges that you shouldn't go past mm-hmm. when you're trying to tell these things and get your players to feel a certain yeah. which is why like we did an episode with Jalen a while back which was about like x cards and i'm forgetting all the terms all of the terms there are three or four but like you know finding out what your players don't want to happen or only want to happen off screen and then apply that because even with those limitations there's still a bunch you can do yeah 
I still wish I could think of a better word than manipulation, but I'm not. It's not coming to me. Using knives. Yes. <laughs> juggling just knives. Juggling knives. I like juggling knives. Um, <laughs> it's just it's it's funny because like out of context context it could be like literally you'd like to juggle knives. Oh man, um, I would like get myself accidentally stabbed so many times. <laughs> you want to use them, but you don't want to like you know do actual damage to your players. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, you want it's it's something that you want to be able to put a band aid on afterwards, and mm-hmm. everybody feels good, and not something like, oh, we have to take them to the hospital now. Tiny yeah. knives, <laughs> yeah. very small ones. Teeny knives. Well, and I like the knives thing because it actually ties into an episode we did a little while ago about using players' backstories mm-hmm. to like to influence the story or working them in. It's like, yeah, you, the knife theory is literally using pieces of that backstory to you know relate to the characters and the story that's happening now. Something I'm I'm curious about because I don't. I don't recognize this the this article of this theory, but it it like talking about it's like oh yes this makes sense. I'm wondering if there is a correlate cor- a mirror side to knives, which is like lollipops or something like yeah. like the thing that you can do like give to your player or do to your player that's like oh this is nice. Maybe I'll write an article about that. <laughs> knives and lollipops. I like it. I can think of ones for my players pretty easily, <laughs> but my players are like if I'm like. You guys, because they're all playing like high school students. It's it's a long story, <laughs> um, but it's like, yeah, you guys have a uh, a car ride together for half an hour. Uh, spend the next ten minutes telling me what you talk about, and they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, RP with each other, and then they have a blast doing it, and like make plans to do stuff like outside of whatever the adventure is. And I'm like, oh look, nice. You just had a nice bonding moment. You both enjoyed role playing it, and I got to prep the next dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have um I have a story about like a, one of my characters and um, a knife that happened to them like years ago. If that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think this was back in good lord. I've been um GMing for like eleven years, so I think I did this back in 2012, 2013. I had this one character, Roses. She was evil. I had written into my backstory that um she ended up murdering this paladin's girlfriend be- well fiance because she lo- also loved this paladin person um and I, and I wrote into the story that like my character roses had even stolen uh, like his fiance sword so at the very beginning of the story i have ri- i had written in this 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 paladin that's out to get me this villain well no i'm the villain they're the hero um so we're all, we're all the hero of our own story yeah the, the the party knew my character wasn't like the most good character uh however um at some point the gm brought in ilheim that was his name he and my party was initially going to be like oh my god uh we need to help you out and then they helped me and you know we fought and then just like why are you why are you protecting this uh this like you know witch and just like wait what'd she do he told them and then my and then my party is just like okay this isn't cool and they look towards me sword drawn i'm like you know, I deserve this. <laughs> as, as a player and as a character, I deserve it. And my character did die. Like, I think, yeah, I think that's that's a good example of of the the previous episode of using something from a backstory of of having that moment of just like, hmm? oh my god, things are gonna go bad here. And yeah, I think that's also actually a good example of like, because one of the other problems I've run into uh, playing alongside people who are playing evil characters is like sometimes not everyone but some people get upset when someone turns around and is like well now there are consequences because you just murdered that whole village and we're not cool with that yeah. like and, that, and like i i like that your story kind of is like you, 
you know, you as a player were like, oh, yeah, no, this is fair. Yeah, no, no, it's <laughs> all me. And that's, that's actually something that um, I think is a good point when we're talking about being being an evil GM is kind of just really kind of enforcing consequences a little bit harder than you would otherwise, mm-hmm. I think, in some cases. But I think it's possible to, like, when you're not playing up the evil GM side to still kind of press down hard with consequences because mm-hmm. this is something something that happened when i ran the beginner's box was part of the beginner's box is the town that they come to is situated uh at the bottom of a hill and at the top of the hill there's this old fallen apart manor where some thieves have taken up residence and a nothic which is basically a one-eyed like failed lich wizard who has basically gone insane and now has weird psychic powers and mm-hmm. one of the players uh, when their character was alone, um, basically like got some money out of somebody by saying like, oh, I'm I'm too busy, but I have this key to the basement of the manor. You can go and get all the treasure and uh, you just have to pay me like 20 gold or whatever it was. Um, but they hadn't they had cleared out all the bandits. They had left the Nothic alone because they had actually talked to it a little bit mm. and like come to a compromise of just like don't kill townsfolk go kill like you can go out at, at night and kill deer or whatever mm-hmm. um and because of this player's actions several townsfolk ended up dying because they weren't expecting a nothic and they freaked out and attacked it and when they came back to town uh the lead town guard i don't know what the position is called sheriff basically yeah. uh captain? yeah captain like was really angry with them like you got some of my people killed and like really came down hard and they had been expecting they had actually just were coming back from a quest for him and he's like you don't get anything because you did this thing and yeah i just i don't know really why i went into that story it's just the idea of consequences and yeah. like how you can use those to affect yeah. players you did this arguably evil action and now there are repercussions yeah all right i have we what are we at we're at 45 i think we've i think we've hit mostly everything here yeah we've gotten yeah yeah um okay um d we have kind of a traditional do you have something no final i'm just doing the final question (laughs) okay yeah we have kind of a traditional final question which is um if you could go back in time had a time machine or whatever and and give yourself a piece of advice about playing a villainous gm what would that be give myself a piece of advice yes past you um oh my god that's hard um don't feel bad uh i i struggled a lot with like feeling really bad about like you know putting players through you know certain things it took me a while to like get out of that and be like this is for the better part of the story it will make them more engaged and but i always really felt bad about it (laughs) so just you know do it and don't care about consequences (laughs) yeah i think the idea of of not feeling bad about putting your players through the ringer it's the same like i don't know if game designers or authors ever have felt like oh no i'm gonna make people feel really bad for a bit but it's like you know if you enjoy horror movies or you enjoy going to like i'm thinking of like horror movies or going to like the peony when they've got the like the haunted house kind of thing that you walk through i have a friend who works there yeah and 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 like those like you're going in knowing that like i think it's one of those things you have to be a little bit upfront with your players like Mm -hmm. i am going to be a little bit rough on you but at the end of the day like you come out of that experience being like that was intense and it was fun Mm -hmm. and you just have to make sure that you're using all the tools to make sure you're not psychologically damaging your players yeah. Yeah. but that's what stuff like the x card and all those other things are for but yeah 
and and you know just the the other kind of common thing we come back to just talk to your players and make sure they're having a good time yeah mm-hmm. so d is there anything that you'd like to plug um gosh uh my twitter dice qgm i have a blog uh um it's gonna be in the show notes i also write for gnome stew um yeah no i'm really happy with that and look out for me when i do panels or presentations rainy city games like has me there like once every couple months and at any convention if you see it by d cool thank you so much for coming on this has been a blast yes all right i think that's and thanks everyone for listening thank you bye thank you for listening to dms of vancouver We acknowledge that the land we live, work, and play on is the unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. In recognition of that fact, we ask that you please support Raven, a charity that helps support Indigenous people throughout Canada. You can find them at raventrust.com. We are a part of the Cave Goblin Network. To check out other shows on the network, please visit cavegoblins.com. You can support the show and the network by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash cavegoblins. You can also support the show by leaving us a review on iTunes or talking about the show. You can find us on Twitter at DMs of Vancouver, at Jesse Boros, and at Sean P. Hagen. Our art is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. See more of her work at haleyboros.com. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. Find his work at acompatech.com. Revolver is the new weekly show on the Cave Goblin Network, exclusive to Patreon backers of just $1 or more. Each series lasts for a maximum of 12 episodes, then switches hosts and premises. Series 2 is Tabletop Tales, hosted by me, Jesse Boros, where I interview people about memorable stories from their tabletop gaming sessions. Hear the adventures at patreon.com slash cavegoblins. Hey there, lovely listeners. I'm Talia Murdoch, and I'm here to tell you about my show, Everything Economics. Every week, I talk about the world around you, specific social and economic issues, and dive into how fantasy realms would work in real life. That's Everything Economics on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.